Thank you. You may be seated. Would you welcome Jeremiah Bolick? Jeremiah, I've only really seen you for three days, but I feel like I know you, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you for being a part of uh, this week. My pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. Well, uh, there's no pressure on this, but if you want to be able to see the board a little clearly, um, I, I think ten, I, I didn't use to, well, I used to do this, and then I quit doing it, uh, and then I started doing it again. And the reason why is I had some college students actually come up, and they were like, we love the whiteboard. And I was like, really? And they're like, yes, it helps visual, gives us visuals. And so uh, I don't know if you're a visual learner or not. Um, I, need every, I need everything I can possibly get my hands on in order to learn. So um, we all good? I had several of you come up to me and say last night was really helpful. And it was all different. It's all different. Everybody's kind of like a little different. So, uh, but uh, good things, good things last night. Anybody want to share? Don't have to. Don't want to give you a lot of time because we've got a lot to cover. That didn't come out right. I want to give you time. But if you want to testify or you want to encourage and you think the Lord wants you to, now's the time. We good? All right. Gives me more preaching time. I want to talk to you tonight about the scriptures, and we're going to look at a couple different passages. I want to begin, um, the bulk of them will be uh, in, in uh, the end of Luke chapter 24 and the beginning of John chapter 1. So it's just like right there within a page. But I, I want to touch on um, Hebrews chapter 1 first. So you're going to have a lot of people, in fact I was talking to one of you tonight, I forget who it was, but you were talking about, you were talking with someone about the scriptures. Um, and it's, you, you just have to go after God's word. I'm telling you, if you really want to be the real thing, you're going to have to go after his word. Seriously, I was uh, in, I was in, uh, this was early 2000s, probably 2001, maybe, 2002, may have been a little bit later, but I'm pretty sure that was when it was, and um, I was preaching at Portland First Church of the Nazarene in Oregon, and it's just this, I think they sold the building now, but it was a gigantic building, gigantic church. Um, like it covered an entire city block, had four levels to it, gym, just everything. And um, when, you, when you're walking around the front, it's, it's stadium seating and two or three levels. And, and, and uh, the stage had the, right before the preacher would get up and preach, you're sitting down, so the stage is above your head anyway. And you're like, you sit up on the rows, but the pulpit before you'd preach would come out of the floor. That was really cool. So, yeah, I was trying to talk them into removing the pulpit so before I would preach I would just come out of the floor every evening but they they weren't going for it but um I was preaching there and after one of the services this guy comes up to me and he goes man your knowledge of the word is great it's incredible and then before I could respond he goes but that's why you went to college and I knew that bozo and uh neat guy he ran the sports league there and he knew everything there ever was to possibly know about football. Like a walking statistician. Led the, led the um, football, what's that thing called? You pick your little teams and fantasy football, that's it. So he, was, he did all that. And it just came to me. And it was somewhat sarcastic. So I knew it was from the word or the Lord. And he's like, well, that's why you went to college. And I said, well, let me pay you a, a compliment. I'm like, you are just a stud at football. A statistician. You know everything there is to know about every player. And, I mean, just incredible. And before he could respond, I said, uh, but that's why you went to college. And he looked at me and he goes, I didn't go to college to learn all that. I'm just into that. And I went, I'm not sure he got it. I'm not sure you got it. Um, you do. You just have to savagely go after the word. 
So I want to talk to you tonight because there's, there's really a, a lot of opinions out there. And you're going to need to come to conclusion uh, on a lot of things on your own. Everything I preach is a matter of me just going after it and discovering it. I mean, just, just I mean, the, the amount of knowledge that we have, I mean, it's unlike any other time. When I was a kid and you didn't know something, you just went on not knowing it. That, that was our world. We just, everybody walked around ignorant. We didn't know. Now there's nothing that you, you, you can know everything. There's nothing, there's no limit. There's nothing hidden. You can find anything. So yeah, search and study the scriptures. But I want to cover some highlights tonight. So this is basically a, a thir- uh, 12 to 13 hour course that we do. We're going to do it in an hour. It's going to be fun. No, we're going to do the highlights. But I want to talk to you specifically about a couple different things. Why we call the scriptures inspired. What that means. Um, why we refer to the scriptures as the word of God. And, we, and more specifically, the written word where Jesus is the living word and the relationship between the two and why it is so significant, why it is different than any other book that's ever been written on the face of the planet. Okay? So, why do we call the scriptures inspired? Well, the definition of inspiration is though it was written by man, it was not authored by man. So when you open up your Bible to the the book of Isaiah, you're not reading Isaiah's opinions. You're reading God's opinions. You're not reading Jeremiah's opinions. You're reading God's opinions. David wasn't all that smart. The prophets were carried along as they spoke. We have the words of the prophets, Peter says, made more certain. What does that mean? That the prophets up here, the prophets had no idea most of the time what they were even writing. I mean, you come up to the prophets and say, wow, wow, you know, the, you know, the Messiah is going to come, you know, from a virgin, which they didn't even know that really until Jesus came and then they begin to put things together. There's all kinds of prophecies that they didn't know was prophecies until after Jesus came. But let's use that one. You know, the Messiah is going to come from a virgin. How's that work? You know, and Isaiah would say, I have no idea. Do you think I came up with this? So God spoke and man wrote it down. The definition of inspiration. And you would say, is that a theological definition? No, we get that from the scriptures themselves. In fact, if you look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, the Hebrews writer is making the statement. Are you with me? The Hebrew writer is making the statement that Jesus is superior to all things. Okay? Jesus is superior to all things, period. And he begins with Jesus being superior even to the angels. And, and his, his, his writers, or excuse me, his readers are going to be like, are you sure? And so the writer goes back to the scriptures. Because the scriptures, and listen, I say this all the time. You can believe whatever you want to believe. Seriously, I'm totally fine with it. But if you want to know what the early church believed, I can share, I can share that with you. There's all kinds of opinions out there. But if you want to know what the eyewitnesses of Jesus believed, what Jesus himself believed about the scripture, I can tell you that. I choose to believe what they believe. Okay? So the writer of of Hebrews goes back and says, well, let me show you what the scriptures have to say about Jesus. And it says in verse 4 that Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. And to back that up, he says, for to which of the angels did God ever say? Okay, so Jesus is superior to angels. How do I know this? Hey, did God ever say this to an angel? And then he quotes, you are my son, today I've become your father. Now, where is that a quotation from? It's annotated annotated right there in your Bible. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Who wrote Psalm chapter 2, verse 7? David. Got his name on it. So we know David wrote that. And yet, look at what the Hebrews writer says. The Hebrew writer says, For to which of the angels did God ever say? Now, when I first read that, I just scratched my head and I thought, Hold on. God didn't say that. David wrote that. But the early church would just shake their heads and go, Oh, 
Americans. David may have wrote that, but David didn't come up with that. Because the early church believed that when you got into the scriptures, you're not dealing with man's opinion, you're dealing with God's opinion. And every single time in this book and throughout the New Testament, the old covenant scriptures are never attributed to man but God. I mean, he does this again in the same verse. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. It's a collaboration of 2 Samuel 7.14 and 1 Chronicles 17.13. That or they can't decide which one it was. You'd say, hold on, I thought Samuel said that. No, Samuel didn't come up with that. Samuel wrote that. But Samuel didn't come up with that. So God came and spoke his words. The prophets heard it and wrote it down. That's inspiration. The Bible is inspired. It's different than any other book on the face of the planet. Oswald Chambers is phenomenal. That's one of the first books I ever, I ever got. Brand new Christian, someone came up and shoved this book by Oswald Chambers in my hand. Daily devotional. They said, read it every day. You know the name of it. My utmost for his highest. Right? And I read it every day. There's been times that I'd run across and I'd be like, man, I'm not sure what he said. I'd like to go talk to him. Well, he's dead. Buried overseas. And there's all kinds of people that give you opinions on what he meant. But we'll never know because the author of that book is dead. But the author of this book lives in your body. So this is understand, not by in, understood not by intelligence, but by revelation and by wisdom. One more quick thing about inspiration. Satan does not know Scripture. Now, that's a weird thing to say because you're like, he was around since the beginning. He's tempted everybody who's ever written in this book. He knows about every detail of this book. He was responsible for the death of everyone. I mean, just all the oppression. Come on. He, he quoted it against Jesus in the wilderness. Satan knows a lot of information. But you can know information and not know the truth because the truth is only revealed from him who wrote it. So you can know information about the book and yet know, not know the truth about the book. In fact, if I were to give you just a really quick deal, in the book of Revelation, this is all bonus material, but in the book of Revelation, oh, it's too much to write down. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3, John writes, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Best, and basically, best the one who reads you know, these, these words. And of course, Revelation is just a small part of the overall inspired writings that we call Scripture, okay? So reading Scripture is interesting in light of the word that he uses. There's a couple different Greek words. Listen to this. There's a couple different Greek words that we can translate read, okay? Um, the word that John uses is anagonosko. Anagonosko. Um, ana means upward or toward but when you attach it to a term, it makes whatever term it's attached to a beefed up version of itself. Gnosko is a, is a, is a term for knowledge. Okay, it means it's translated to know, knowledge, or learn. So it's, it's reading is a, is, a, is a gaining of knowledge. That's, that's the word reading. But what's interesting, there's like four or five different Greek words for reading that could have been used. Oida, which is more of an academic idea of reading most of the time. Um, gnosko, gnosis, which is... Um, gathering of information, okay? That's what Gnosis is. But um, Gnosko is a knowledge that's gained through personal involvement or experience, which means reading the way that John understood reading was not academic reading, but blessed is the one who experiences the truth of this book in their life. That's what reading is. Did you put that together? You can get my notes online for this again, and it goes through it all in case you don't catch it, but because there's a lot here. But see, again, we've talked about this kind of thing forever. You can come to church on Sunday without ever coming to church. You can read the Bible without ever reading the Bible. You can have information and not know him. You can know about him and not know him. So that we're, we're not just talking about outside activities or information. We're talking about truth. 
I've, I've, I've watched people deal with this. I dealt with this woman at one point in time who was just crippled by fear. And we, I talked to her several different times and, and over, over social media. And then, of course, they didn't live too far from us. And I'd be around their church from time to time. And I would talk with her. And this is an ongoing thing in her life. And so I was talking to her. She was still struggling with fear. And I was like, you're, you know, you're, you're never to live in fear. And she's like, I know. I was like, no, you don't. She's like, yeah. Timothy. You've not been given, I think, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You've not been given a spirit of fear. She's like, yeah, I know that. No, you don't know that. She knows it, but she doesn't know it. Because if you knew that, you wouldn't be afraid. She's like, oh. I was like, yeah, I've been telling you. So you can know the scriptures, but not know the scriptures. See, how you know, there's been some brilliant people in our world. The enemy, it's hysterical. He's been around from the beginning and he blunders into like Jesus. I'd have done anything but nail him to a cross. Shoot him with a bow and arrow. Those were invented, right? I mean, do something. Don't break, I mean, break one of his bones. I mean, you literally would tell the enemy, listen, Armageddon, don't show up. He's going to show up. Because you, you can only understand the scriptures through the author that reveals them to you. Which means you're adequate. This is so good. You're adequate to know God's word. You know how huge that is? I'm not highly intelligent. I just know the author. We're, we're tight. We watch TV. We hang out. He reveals truth. So the definition of inspiration, the scriptures were written by man, but they were not authored by man. So when the early church came back and quoted those, they did not, they didn't refer to the brilliance of Jeremiah or the brilliance of Isaiah. They referred to the brilliance of God. In fact, look at this. I'll give you, just because you're behaving. I thought this was hysterical. If you go down to chapter 2, this is hysterical. Under uh, at verse 5, he's been building this whole case of how Jesus was made like his brothers so that he could sympathize and reign. <laughs> listen to this. At the end of verse 11, he says, chapter 2, verse 11, listen to this. Both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, he says. So he's saying Jesus says this. I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Well, that's written in Psalm 22, 22. Uh, what was that? Maybe a thousand years before Jesus was born? Well, how could Jesus say something that was written before he was ever born because Jesus wrote it Jesus authored it the writer wrote it so this will lead us in we're going to come back to this and by the way you go down it does that several times that's mind boggling Jesus said this like David wrote that I know so there's a connection between Jesus and the scriptures the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And it's inspired because we call it the written Word. And it relates in a unique way to Jesus, who's the living Word. So I want to go through that. We ready? Are we good? I know anybody's head's exploding. All right. So we're going to talk about the Scriptures. And how I like to begin is I do, we, our, our Scriptures are made up of two different... Um, they're made up of two different testaments. We have what we call the Old Testament and we call the New Testament. And the Old Testament are the scriptures that were given during an Old Covenant time period. And the New Testament are scriptures that were given during a New Covenant time period. Okay? Now, if someone were to come up to you and ask you, I want to, you know, I want to hear about the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and gospel means good news. Where would you send them? The New Testament. And so people often tell them, 
tell me that the gospel is in the New Testament. And I always tell them you are absolutely 50% correct. Because the gospel is found in the New Testament. But it's also found in the Old Testament. In fact, we call the Old Testament the gospel announced. And we call the New Testament the gospel arrived. Because the gospel is a person. Okay? The gospel is a person. The Old Testament was not plan A and the New Testament plan B. Everything going on in an Old Covenant time period from Genesis to Malachi during that entire not just literary period, but the 4,000 year period from the time of the garden to the time of Malachi, which is on about 400 years before Jesus came, but all the way up to that time, that entire 4,000 year time period, okay? This entire 4,000 year time period, God was speaking about a Messiah. God was speaking about Jesus. He was declaring that of, of sending a Savior and a Redeemer who was going to reconcile all of mankind back to himself. Um, Peter in Acts, I'll just give you a couple of them. And these are again, these are on my, uh, on my website, uh, on my little study notes thing. In Acts chapter 2, and I can't remember exactly where this is. I mean, I know where it's at, but I can't remember the exact verse. In Acts chapter 2, Peter um, is at Pentecost, and God moves on the scene. You have the, you have the promise of the Father that's been fulfilled, and the Spirit is poured, poured out. And so Peter stands up and addresses the crowd, beginning in verse 14, and from verse 17 all the way down through verse 21, he quotes from the book of Joel. Are you with me? Okay. So in chapter 2, verses 14 through, it's not even 14. 17 through 21. He quotes from the book of Joel. Here's what's going, because everybody is seeing what's happening and they're like, that's incredible. And so Peter's explaining what they are experiencing in their present with the new covenant. He's explaining that with old covenant scriptures. So in order to describe what's happening when the gospel arrives, they go back and look at the gospel when it was announced. Dude, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God looks at Mary, or excuse Mary, God looks at uh, um, Eve, Eve and Adam, and he's talking with them, but first he addresses the serpent, he, he addresses Satan, and he says, the, the seed that's going to come out of their body is going to crush your head. Who's he talking about? Talking about the person. So I propose to you, if you take Jesus out of anything that's going on in the Old Testament, you're going to misunderstand it. You're going to completely misunderstand it. Everything from the seven Mosaic festivals to the tabernacle, the structure of the people of Israel, to the, the temple, to the types of people, to the events. One of my favorites, I use this for kids. We have some kids in here tonight. I've got a cool children's story. It's my favorite children's story. I always teach it when I get to do children's church. It's the story of the Passover. If you take Jesus out of the Passover, it doesn't make sense. And my kid's version is, if you go back, basically, you have all of these, you have all these plagues that are happening, and God uh, sends this text to Moses and says, meet me at Starbucks. So uh, Moses shows up at Starbucks, God is there, and they're chatting, and Moses is like, dude, this is crazy. God's like, I know, but it's almost done. There's one more coming, Okay. And uh, so Moses, like the rest of them, gets out his, his iPad and his eye pencil. He's taking some notes. And God says, here's how this thing's going to go down. He says, on the 10th day, the month of what would be the month of Nisan, on the 10th day of this coming month, God says, 
I want every Israelite family to go out and I want them to bring into their home a, 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 a lamb, a, a, a one-year-old male lamb or goat, but a one-year-old male lamb. And I want you to keep it in the house from the 10th day of the month to the 14th day of the month. It's five days. It's a work week. So Moses is writing. He's like, wow, in the house? Wife's not going to like that. So, uh, so you had to go buy PetSmart. You had to get the, you know, the flea collar, you know, the dog. I think he got a sweater. There's all kinds of things. It's a male lamb. He got some name tags. Fred. Called him Fred. And so he says, I'm going to bring it in. He says, you know what? The kids are going to love it, right? The kids are going to love the pet. It's going to be great. They're going to teach the pet. They're going to argue. He gets to sleep with it. It's going to be awesome. God says, yeah, it's going to be great. And then God says at the last day, on that 15th day, he goes, have all the family gather in the kitchen and bring Fred and a bucket and a knife. This is a great children's story. I, I tell this wherever I go. And then he says, I don't want you to just kill Fred, but I want you to slit his throat, okay? And then, of course, I, I don't want you to just be kind of a ruthless killing. Uh, I want you to have all the blood uh, captured. So when you slit his throat, uh, have all the blood pour into a bucket. And then I want you to take the blood and just smear it all over your house. It's going to be awesome. All over the door frames, the fence post. It's going to be great. And God's like, or uh, Moses is like, yeah, I'm not sure this is a great idea, man. I want my kids to like you. God's like, no, 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 it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And then after, he's, I'm not done. And then after you smear the blood, I want you to skin Fred because you're going to eat Fred. And I don't care if your kids are vegan. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to eat Fred. Because if you don't eat Fred, you're not going to have any part of me. And Moses is like, this is going to be terrible. God's like, this is going to be great. We're going to do this every year. Isn't that a great story? I used to tell it to kids right before they go to bed at night. Just, it's just a great story. If you take Jesus, the Passover, if you take Jesus out of that story, you're left with a sick, twisted, mean, Islamic God that's trying to entertain himself. Period. And you're like, well, that was horrible. Have you, have you studied the crucifixion? But why did he have bring the lamb and for five, five days live with him? Why did they get attached to it? Jesus wasn't Superman, dude. He wouldn't describe, wasn't no Clark Kent. He was one of their own. They knew him. He healed their kids. He lived among them. He loved them. He cared for them. He wept over them. And for generation, for generation, for generation, that horror was celebrated. Why? He's trying to teach us something. You know, not all the pleasant things that come in your life are from the enemy. And not all the non-pleasant things that come into your life are from the enemy. What are you saying? Well, God brings good things in your life, true. But God also bring, brings things that are not comfortable in your life. That's also true. Why? It's good for you. And we're Americans. It's hot outside, Lord. It's just, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Could you just take away the rain, bring the sun? These are events. Let me give you another one. Um, if you uh, look into John chapter, you don't have to go there, but in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and this is hysterical. There's all kinds of, by the way, if you just research this, study this, you'll find there was a little over 300, I think 333, but definitely over 330 uh, prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. I'm not even sure all of those um, count the typologies of Jesus, like Moses was a type of Messiah. David was a type of the Messiah. But there are all these events that we didn't even know were prophecies until Jesus came. So it was, it was really neat. One of them, Jesus is talking to, to uh, Nicodemus. And he looks at Nicodemus in these verses and he's trying to describe to Nicodemus what the new covenant is and what the kingdom of God is. And he says, do you remember Nicodemus? This, you know, the, the, in, in the book of Numbers recorded the wilderness experience and, and the Israelites, they're longing to go back to Egypt and all the snakes that came and people are being bitten and all that, they're dying. And, and, and Nicodemus is like, yeah, I remember that. That's a weird story. Yeah, it was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, and Moses, it was really weird. Why, why did he handle it that way? 
Well, if you go back and read the story, the Israelites are rebelling, opens up for persecution, and, and, and they're vulnerable to the enemy. Um, I'd love to go in. I got a whole study on that. You understand this really quickly. The enemy is a spirit. Okay, so he sees in the spirit. Okay, so when you lust in your mind, he sees it. You with me? See, he sees, he sees. So when the Israelites long to go back into Egypt, in their hearts, they literally, and I don't know how he sees it other than maybe the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is, I, who knows? But that was going on the people of Israel. Snakes come in, biting everybody. They come running into Moses, got a snake problem. Moses is like, that's interesting. God's supposed to be protecting us. I mean, he literally made their shoes so they didn't wear out, gave them food, manna, all this stuff, quail. So he runs in the tent of meetings and says, we've got a snake problem. So God explains the whole sin thing. He says, here's how I want to deal with the sin. Because the snakes were the result of their sin. See, oftentimes, like, again, we, lacked, we talked about pornography last night. Pornography is not the issue. Pornography is a result of the sin. Yeah, murder, murder is a result of hatred in your heart. Adultery is a result of lust. So, it, like, it's been coming out for the last years and years and years of ministers who've been caught in adultery. Well, you understand, that's not the sin. The sin happened way back there. You just don't wake up one day and have adultery, right? You've been living in sin for a long time. That's how that works. You just don't kill, you just don't murder somebody. Hatred brews in your heart. So the snakes were the result of the sinful condition of the people in their hearts against God. That's really important to know. Because God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, and I want, he tells Moses, it's a strange deal. You think that, you think that God would just zap all the snakes, but he doesn't. He has actually them design a snake, put it on a pole, stand it up before the tent of meeting, so when anyone is bitten, which tells you he's not removing the snakes. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> oh, that's not awesome. My wife would be upset. He's not removing the snakes. But what he's saying is the result and what was produced by your sin, I'm not going to wipe it away, but it's not going to produce death in your life. I will not allow it to dictate your future. And so anyone who's bitten can come and look at the snake and you won't die. So Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you realize, why did God go through that whole weird thing? Because he was talking about me. And he says, just as the snake is lifted up, so I'm going to be lifted up. You'd say, well, what does he mean? The snake was lifted up and I'm lifted up. All of your past, all of your sin, all of your inadequacies, everything that's you all of the pain, all of the hurt, all the abuse, none of that will be allowed into your future. Jesus was crucified, and none of this will dictate your future. For God so loved the world, he goes on and says. So that event, that event was an announcement of the Messiah. So if you read back into the Old Testament, I was talking with someone the other day, and you may not buy this. I would. And this is a lot of just my opinion, but in my opinion, my opinions are like really good. If you go back and look at the days of Noah, that's too much. I'm going to do that to you. I'm going I'm to poke you so you have to go listen to my sermons online. I don't think it'll work, but it'll be fun teasing you. Uh, anyway, so everything going on in the Old Covenant time period was an announcement of Jesus. So the gospel is a person, period. The gospel is not a message. I'm fine if you say the gospel is a message as long as you say Jesus is that message, period. People argue about Christianity all the time. Well, I believe this, I believe that. I don't care. I believe, I, do you know him? Do you hang out with him? Do you hold his hand? Do you talk with him? 
Do you invite him into every aspect of your life? Do you fall asleep with him at night? Do you sing to him? That's a Christian. It's not this, that, and the other. I don't, you know, well, I don't lie. I don't steal. You know, I don't kill anybody. Hey, big fan. Don't kill people. Love it. Doesn't make you a Christian. Because Christianity is about a person. Seriously, you got to know him. Your kids have to know the person. Well, I take my kids and bring them to church. So, Satan comes to church. Did you know that? Satan parades around as an angel of light. He knows scripture. It's not good enough. So the gospel is about a person. And all through this time period, God was sending a person. And all of this was to teach us about him. And the New Testament is based upon what God said here and it arrived here. Now, you'd say, now, you're obviously the Old Testament, okay, I get that. But did Jesus ever talk like this? This is the easiest part. So let's, let's look at, uh, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter uh, 24. This is one of my favorite passages. We doing okay so far? You stoic Pennsylvania lovely people. So Jesus is on the Emmaus road, and the Emmaus is a town, and this is the road going into Emmaus. So they're on the Emmaus road. And uh, we got the details of that beginning in chapter 24, verse 13. And what you find is, Jesus, you have two disciples, we only know the name of one of them. And by the way, most people talk about at the end of Jesus' life, life in the upper room, you have the 12 disciples, and you had 120. You had 120 disciples, that was the early church. And then you had 12 of those who were apostles. And they were all real tight. And so two of that group is walking into Emmaus. Neither one of them are one of the apostles. Okay? So Jesus, they're walking into Emmaus. Jesus, the crucifixion has taken place. He has surrendered his life and died. He's been taken down. He's been put into the tomb. And they don't realize. So the resurrection has taken place. And John and Peter have been there. You got a bunch of Marys all hanging around. There are Marys everywhere. And they're over by the tomb. But these guys have not heard yet that Jesus arose from the dead. You with me? So they're walking into Emmaus and they're just devastated over everything. And it says, Jesus, look at verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So they're talking about this. And verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now you don't see this in your English translation, but the reason they were kept from recognizing him is because in the original language it tells us he was wearing those glasses with that nose and mustache. So they weren't, they weren't able to recognize him. So Jesus comes along, he walks alongside of them. They don't recognize him. And this is hysterical. In fact, they kind of recognize him at least as a Jew. So in verse 17, he comes up and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? And they stood there, faces downcast, which means they're just devastated. I mean, they're devastated. And one of them named Cleopas said, dude, are you only a visitor? What rock have you been hiding under? And Jesus in verse 19 says, dude, seriously, what, what are you talking about? And listen to what they say. They said about Jesus of Nazareth, man. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. I want to comment on this. We, I, go, I have another sermon on this on our website, on our podcast. But Jesus wasn't just powerful in like deed. We always talk about miracles and all this stuff. Yes, that's true. But he was powerful in word and deed. Jesus was the first spirit source person on the face of the planet ever. In fact, at the end of this chapter, they're going to be like, dude, weren't our hearts burning while he spoke? You ever been around somebody who's just so full of the Holy Spirit? You're like, wow. I want to be around him all the time. That was him. He was the only one. Just phenomenal. Everything he did, how he talked. Just an astonishing human being. The first of many to come. So that he was a prophet, powerful word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, verse 20, handed him over, verse 20, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Listen, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You're, now, when it says we had hoped, is that past, present, or future tense? That's past tense. 
there was no room in their theology for a bleeding, suffering, dying Messiah. So they look at Jesus and say, he's a prophet, no doubt. Oh, incredible. We thought he was the Messiah. But he's dead, man. They killed him. And the Messiah can't, can't, can't be killed. Messiah, scriptures tell us he's not going to die. We thought he was the Messiah. So they didn't leave it. I mean, they just devastated. Their hope, they've left everything. So they, they talk a little bit more. And then Jesus interrupts them in verse 25. And he says, how foolish you are. He never says that to us, does he? He says, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the, look, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, Jesus said, listen, it's evident you didn't go to Sunday school. Because if you would have been in the word, you wouldn't have missed me. Because what, and again, I tell people all the time, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But what Jesus himself said is if you want to know who I am, get in the book. This is who I am. And I'll tell you, you teenagers, just honestly, you cannot rely on showing to church and listening to just us. You've got to investigate. You've got to know him in the word. Come on, don't tell me you love Jesus and you're not in the Word. I watch basketball, the best of all the sports. And I don't, it's not on all the time. I don't watch it all the time. But I did. I gave up TV last year. I don't watch TV. Because the world that I'm learning about is more real and more fun. Eat that thing. I hear people say, I don't have time. Uh, yes, you do. I'm going to come over to your house. I won't let you in. I'm going to look through the window. You're going to come home from work, and you're going to fiddle around on that phone. And you're going to sit in that chair. And you're going to piddle away hours. I guarantee you, you, we, you and I waste a couple hours a day. Waste. Not, without even resting time. Eat the word. Seriously, eat it. Read it. Ask him to reveal it to you. Get tight with him. Jesus looks to the disciples and said, if you'd have been in the book, man, he brought him back. And he doesn't just say it here. If you go down in a few more verses, he comes in among the 12 disciples and he says in verse 44, the same chapter, he comes in, sees Thomas. Thomas is freaked out. He sits down, has a dinner with him, and he says in verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. That's my favorite phrase in the entire New Testament. Because what we're reading here, you have people say, well, Jeremiah, that's one passage. Jesus talked about this all the time. In other words, Jesus, this is not the first time we talked about this, guys. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins to be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you guys saw this with your own eyes. Isn't that awesome? Because we've been talking about this man. That's the only thing that the scriptures talk about. So, number one, the scriptures are inspired. They did not come from men. This is not a theology book. It's not a law book. It's not a rule book. It's not information. It's not good teaching. It is the inspired word that came from God. And it talks about one thing. Scriptures reveal Jesus. Period. Seriously. They don't reveal anything else but the person of Jesus. That's really important. We got all that down? All of that was introduction. Okay? Really was, but it's really important. You need a bigger marker board. Next time I come here, I want a 20-footer. Um, okay, so that's really important. Number one, the scriptures, I'm just going to say the Bible, is inspired. Number two, the Bible reveals the person of Jesus. 
If you want to know who he is, you want to know what he looks like, you come to the scriptures. It reveals Jesus. Does it reveal if I could smoke marijuana? The Bible reveals Jesus. It's not a rule book. And, and the reason I bring that, there's controversial. Some people come up and say, hey, uh, you know, well, hey, I tell my kids, man, they don't get a tattoo. Bible says don't, don't mark your body. I'm fine if you want to manipulate your kids. I think I do it. Hey, <laughs> I love it. It's part of the fun being a parent. But I wouldn't use the scriptures because it'll come back to bite you because that's coercion, spiritual coercion, and it'll hurt them. Because I was told that stuff. There are all kinds of things that I figured out as a brand new Christian that was just a load of lies. Can you say crap, church? It's a load of junk. Yeah, seriously, people told me all kinds. I grew up in, an, in a culture where if you were a Christian as a man, you couldn't have earrings. And that women had to have long hair. And that you had to wear a certain kind of clothing to church. Find it. It's not there. Oh, the Bible says don't mark your body. Yeah, then two verses later, it says don't eat pork. And I just watched all of you eat over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was pork too. Yeah, and you ate pork twice with the pizza thing. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing we're dealing with here. You, this is not a rule book. It reveals the person of Jesus. And who's Jesus? Jesus is what humanity is supposed to look like. Jesus is a spirit sourced child of God. Specifically, this is a lot, I know, in my notes. He's a son of God. I told you this last night, but I'll say it, uh, I'll say it, I'll say it again. Jesus is the only begotten son. There's one like him, period. He's the only one that can go back to his birth and say, God is my father, DNA, plucked from that gene pool, Period. You're called a son of God as well, even if you're a girl. Why? Because you have the, you're still a girl, but you have the rights of a firstborn son. Who's the firstborn son? Him. That as the father looks at him, he looks at you. The position that he has, you have. Where he's seated in the heavenly realms, you're seated. How God talks to him, he talks to you. The inheritance he has, you have. Why? Because you were created and redeemed to have the relationship with the father that he had. So God spends the entire scriptures describing what he looks like. Why? Because when you see what he looks like, you see, yeah, you see what you look like. So we come to the scriptures. What does this, if, and by the way, if you have anybody that talk, walk, act, or does anything that comes in inconsistency with the scriptures, it's not from God. Period. Because this is the final, this is the ruler, it's called the canon, which means the rule or the standard. I'm a word guy, dude. This is the word. Describes what a spirit source child of God looks like. Now you're going to say, okay, so we know that the scriptures reveal the person of Jesus, but why do we call it, number three, why do we call it the written word? Well, we call it the written word because Jesus is the living word. Really quickly. We serve one God in three persons. I can't go through the entire Trinity tonight. The pastor said this next Sunday he's going to explain it in its thoroughly and entirety and it clear everything up on the Trinity. I'm teasing. So the Trinity is one God and three persons. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God. That God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We only know the name of this one because this Godhead told us, told Joseph through the angel Gabriel what to name this person of the Trinity. This person of the Trinity is named Jesus. 
Okay, I'm going to explain this guy a little bit more and how we know that's Jesus. But we don't know the name of the other two. I personally believe it's Bill and Larry, but that's just my opinion. Okay, I can't prove that. That's a joke. I don't really believe it. Okay. Okay, so this person is Jesus. I told you to mark John chapter 1. We're in the final stages. We good? John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. So we have revealed to us that this person of the Trinity is also, his function is the Word. We learn that's the one that was named Jesus. We learn in verse 3, through him all things were made. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14, 15, 16, all things were created by him and for him. So we know that God, through the member of this person, it wasn't like he just went rogue. Just does his, like they just don't do their own thing. They're in syncretism. They're in oneness. It's not like one day, you know, these two woke up and, well, Jesus went to earth. That's not how that is, okay? So this Godhead, through the avenue of this person, created the world. In the beginning, God spoke. All things were created by him. So God, through this person, created the world. We also know that God communicated to that creation through this person. Prophets would come along and say, I have a word of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says there was a rock, that, a spiritual rock that followed the Israelites through the desert and that rock was Jesus. This is crazy. So this person here, oh, and by the way, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it said the word became flesh. So put this, this is incredible. So for 4,000 years, this word who was from the beginning, who had created, was involved in creation, and then was communicating to that creation, there came a point in time when that word left his place in heaven and entered into the womb of a woman named Mary. And nine months later came out. And the same one who had been speaking to them for 4,000 years, because he's the word, came and lived among them and said, I've been talking to you for 4,000 years about who he is and about who you are. You ain't getting it. I've come to show you what it looks like. So Jesus is the living word that existed from the beginning that was communicating to the entire people of Israel for 4,000 years. And whenever he would communicate, the prophets would write it down in a little book that we call the Bible. And then Jesus came out of the womb and said, I wrote that. It's all about me. Which is why we call the scriptures the written word and we call Jesus the living word. And if you want to know the living word, you better get into the... That's why we call the Bible the word of God. Because people say, the Bible isn't the word, Jesus is the word. You're going to be like, oh, you need to go to Jeremiah's website. Just study yourself, man. It's inspired. In the book of Hebrews, all the way throughout the New Testament, God spoke through the prophets and they wrote it down. Man didn't come up with this, God did. And what was God talking about? Through the entire thing, God was talking about Jesus. And then Jesus came and said, listen, I can let you in on something. There's three of us. And by the way, that's not the first place. If you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, all the words of God in Genesis 1 and 2 are plural. Let us make man in our own image. Isn't that interesting? And they were like, how does that work? Because in Deuteronomy 6.4, God says, we're, I'm one. But he speaks it in plurals. God's like, we're one. That's weird. Jesus says, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, let me, I, I can do better. It 
is one God, but we're three in person. And my Father has a role in our redemption. We looked at this the other night, so if you have questions, you can go back and watch the service. The Father has a role in my redemption. The Holy Spirit has a role in my redemption. And I have a role in your redemption. My role is that I am the Word. I was literally the avenue by which God, just like the Holy Spirit is the avenue by which literally all the nature of God lives inside of us, Jesus is the avenue by which God created everything. And Jesus is the avenue by which God communicated He's the living word. And then there came a point in time where that living word came down and entered the womb of a woman named Mary. And he came out and he's like, dude, what's going on? I'm here to show you what it's like. I've been telling you this forever. Let me show you what it looks like. And it's hysterical because they're always trying to get one up on Jesus. In John chapter uh, 10, Jesus is arguing eight it's in there. Chapters 8 through 10 of John. Jesus is in this deep argument with the leaders of Israel. And they're, they're slandering Jesus by calling him an illegitimate son. Because they're not buying into that whole virgin birth thing. And they say, at least we know who our father was. Unlike you, our father was Abraham. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, Abraham, great guy, loves to fish. And they're like... How do you know Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Hung out with that guy. Because the one who come and lived among them had been speaking to them for 4,000 years. Isn't that phenomenal? So when you're opening the scriptures, it is the record of this person speaking and the spirit of that person now lives in your body. It's phenomenal. That's why we call it the Word. I'm writing a book on that, and I'm going to sell it for $1,000. No, I'm not. But hey, I'm going to write a book on that. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I was working on it all day today. You've got to be in the Word. Don't tell me you're into Jesus. Don't tell me you're into the living word when you're not reading the written word. Because the days are upon us when you're going to be presented with the Jesus that is not the Jesus of that book. Yep. You're going to be presented with the Christianity. It's not the Christianity of that book. Paul calls it the great apostasy. And an anti-Christ, an anti-Messiah, a fake Messiah is going to come. He's going to be filled with the enemy. He's going to lead the whole world astray. And he's going to say, I'm Jesus. And they're going to believe it. Why? Because they don't know the book. And God's going to give a great delusion for the people who refuse to believe the truth, but are going to believe what they want to believe. And that day's coming. You say quickly, I don't know. Let's turn on the news. Look kind of peachy out there. You got to be in the Word. We good? And again, I'm not just trying to sell you anything. I mean, every, at this point, I don't have any books. So everything on my website is free. It's all by donation. So it's all free. I wouldn't give me anything if I were you. But go to our resource page. You can download the notes to this stuff and go at it. Study it yourself. Because it's a lot to retain. We also have these recordings on our website. They're on your website. And... Um, or on your Facebook or wherever you put these, but I've got them on my YouTube channel. On the front page of my, on my, on my, on my website, jeremiahbullet.com, you have different links to my social media. You can go there and listen to this. I actually take these studies. I've been taking them, and they're hour long, and then I break them down into 10-minute slots, and I do 10-minute teachings on separate videos on them. It's called The Word Behind the Words. Isn't that catchy? I think it's catchy. So... But I, I have a video, it's a video of me and my computer screen's open and I'm showing you the Greek. I mean, we go nerdy. We go full nerd mode on there. So I'll literally go with you as deep as you want to go in this study. And we'll just study it together. So tonight was strictly teaching. We good with that? Any, any questions about this? It's just such a thorough and fantastic teaching. We have no questions. No, we good? For real? All right, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. 
I thank you, Father, that it's not only your word, but it's not an academic book that I have to figure out because you gave me your spirit who lives inside of me who will reveal the content to me. In the name of Jesus, I want that. And everybody said, amen. See you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock.